I want to thank uh, Frank Thielman for helping me in the first part of the worship today. This has been a rather busy week in our household, and I needed all the help I could get. Uh, our scripture lesson, the second lesson, is taken from the New Testament. It's from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 19, verse 1 following. And Jesus entered and was passing through Jericho, and behold, there was a man called Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all began to murmur, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give him back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. And now, at our midweek prayer meeting, we've been studying through the book of Acts. We have remarked repeatedly how many times the Apostle Paul recounts his conversion experience. He tells it over and over again because the grace of God had been extended to him, he who had been a persecutor of the church. And when grace is extended, after that grace comes, then transformations take place. And so it is in his life. And the other night when we were recounting one of the conversion uh, repetitions that Paul had made to a crowd in Jerusalem, I told the congregation what Billy Graham once told me about telling of conversion experiences. He said that he would never forget his first big mission to India, that through the kindness of President Eisenhower and John Foster Dulles, who was Secretary of State at that time, he had an opportunity to visit with the Prime Minister of India, Mr. Nehru. Of course, Mr. Nehru was not a Christian. And Billy said that uh, when he talked with him, he began to recount something of the world's situation, something of what was going on in the United States, something of what he knew about Russia. But he said that Nehru looked at his fingernails and showed no attention at what he was saying. But then he said he began to tell him 
about his own encounter with Jesus Christ and what had happened as a result of his meeting Jesus and the transformation that took place in his life. He said that Nehru folded his arms and looked earnestly into his face and listened intently to every word that he said. I saw almost that same experience repeated again on one occasion when I was present. I saw Dr. Graham begin to speak of conversion, and I saw Henry Luce, the editor of Life and Time magazine at that time, look up at Mr. Graham and listen intently, like a little child, as he told of what an encounter with Jesus can do for a life. Now this is what our lesson is about today. It's about Jesus on the threshold of the greatest week in all of human history. The week in which he is about to go to the cross and to die. And he had to go through a city called Jericho. He went there for a great reason. And the reason was that God wanted him to speak to a man by the name of Zacchaeus, and to see that man transformed. Jesus had performed many miracles. Lazarus had been raised from the dead. Just before this incident takes place, a blind beggar had screamed out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And Jesus had stopped and healed blind Bartimaeus and made him able to see again. Throngs of people were lining the streets eager to see Jesus and wanting a glimpse at him. I've often wondered what Zacchaeus must have done earlier that day. Surely he had heard that Jesus was coming. He wanted to go and to get a look at him like anyone else. One of my friends, Norton Dindy, has said that the redeeming character, uh, characteristic of Zacchaeus was that he had a curiosity that was good. I find that people are curious still about Jesus. I find young people are fascinated with Jesus. But when we are truly interested in him, we will not find that the grace that he brings to our hearts is a cheap grace, but it will be very costly. It will mean a transformation that will take, that will take place. It won't be extended to us at any bargain rate. If you don't remember anything else that I say today, remember what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said better than I could ever think of saying it. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Salvation is not cheap. It costs God all that God could give. He exhausted himself at the cross that's how much it cost God. 
And when we accept that salvation, there will be an ethical change that takes place in us, as we're going to see as we study this curious, interesting little character, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus. And I'm sure if it had been today, he would have had his instamatic camera, which he had stealing tax money, and uh, his cassette tape recorder, and he would have been like a lot of Bible conference people, ready to get all the illustrations and the notes. And he wanted to go see Jesus, see who he was. He was a big shot in Jericho because it was a very important city, famous for its fruit, famous for balsam, uh, famous for its tax revenues. And so he was an immensely wealthy person. But he was a traitor to his own people. Zacchaeus had wanted money more than he wanted anything else in the world. He wanted money more than he wanted God. He wanted money more than he wanted the respect of his neighbors. He wanted money. And he would do whatever he had to do to get money. And so he did. But when he'd gotten his money and had bought all the things that he could buy with his money, there was a vacant place down inside his heart that was a God-shaped vacuum and blank that could not be filled with all of the treasures that his gains could buy him. But he wanted to see Jesus. He had heard that Jesus had said some pretty tough things about the Pharisees, and Zacchaeus didn't like the Pharisees anyway. He'd heard that Jesus had done miracles, and he thought it would be interesting to get a picture of Jesus or to see him. And so when he heard Jesus was coming that way, with that curiosity of a little child, he scampers down the street and looks for an opportunity to see Jesus. But he's short, and the crowds are taller than he is. And they must have taken a lot of pleasure in standing in front of him or jostling him with their elbows or maybe stepping on his feet. They had to be afraid of him when they went to his tent. But when he was out there in the crowd amongst the rest of them, he didn't have to be so afraid. At any rate, he couldn't get a good look at Jesus. The Roman soldiers must have been up and down the streets wondering whether a riot was going to take place. A lot of traffic. Zacchaeus must have maybe had gone up to one of the Roman soldiers and saw a sycamore tree and started up in it and got into this tree with low-hanging branches and lots of leaves, and he thought, boy, this is a good possession. He'll come just about this way, and when he gets here, I can take a picture of him, and I'll, I'll have it, and I get to see all the crowds. Maybe I'll even get to record something that he says when he's really denouncing these Pharisees and Sadducees. I want to hear that. I heard that he even has one of us in his group, and so Zacchaeus waited and watched for Jesus to come. But he got more than he bargained for. And there are a lot of people who come into church and think, well, I'll just listen today and maybe it won't be too long and maybe the music won't be too bad and maybe it won't be too boring and then I'll go away and it'll all be over with. nice to know a few things about Jesus. He's had a great effect on history. Maybe he'll say something that'll enlighten us a little bit about him. 
we all have that fascination and that curiosity about him. But he gets more than he bargained for. Because when Jesus comes under the tree, he looks and he sees Zacchaeus and his eyes meet Zacchaeus' eyes. And he says, Zacchaeus, come on down. I want to go to your house today. Man, Zacchaeus could hardly take that in. He could hardly believe his ears that he sees me and he knows me and he wants me and he's calling me to go to his place. And he comes down. Let me tell you a story that illustrates the fact that we often don't want any more of Jesus than just a passing glance, glimpse. Uh, one of my favorite preachers used to be the associate, one of the associate ministers of the University Presbyterian Church in um, Seattle, Washington. The minister of the church there, the senior minister, was L. David Cowie. Some of you have heard Dr. Cowie is a great evangelical and a marvelous preacher and not lacking in ego strength. And uh, Dr. Cowie uh, was there when back in the Eisenhower days uh, and Governor Langley was governor of, uh, of Washington State at that time, Arthur B. Langley, and he was uh, the head uh, Republican in that area. And so when President Eisenhower came, they had one of those $1,000 plate deals like they'll have now during an election year. And uh, so uh, David Cowie, because he was a distinguished minister in the city and because Arthur Langley was an elder in his church, got invited to go and make the invocation at this big $1,000 plate uh, dinner for Republicans. I've, I, had to, I don't know whether I want the Lord to catch me in a crowd sometimes, but I'm... I've done that before where you make the invocation in these political meetings. Well, anyway, uh, David Cowie was there, and uh, he was seated at the head table. Now, you, when you go to these things, most of the people who sit at the head table go to a, a room off to one side where all the dignitaries meet. And then uh, you march out and everyone stands up, and then the preacher comes, the local Democrat or a Republican preacher, and puts a blessing on it. And uh, then, uh, uh, so Dr. Cowley got to do this. And, uh, but most of the people at the head table, I've noticed, they're not autograph hounds. That's sort of the hoi polloi out there. But most of the people who get to sit at the head table uh, are not going to want an autograph. But Dr. Cowley wanted an autograph of President Eisenhower. So he took his menu, and he wrote on his menu, he was way down at the, uh, at the head table, way up at the head table, but he was way down at the end of it. And he had said his prayer and gone and sat down. And he wrote a, a, a note to Arthur Langley, the governor, who was uh, his, uh, one of his uh, elders. And he said, Arthur, could you get the president's autograph for me? And he sent it, the note along the people at the table. And it got there, and Governor Langley looked at it and uh, uh, wrote back, yes, bring your menu with you. And uh, so uh, uh, he came to the where the president was with his menu. And President Eisenhower was there, and he handed him the menu, and, and President Eisenhower uh, had known from Arthur Langley that this was David Cowie, and so he wrote, his, signed his autograph there, and handed back the, the menu. Well, Cowie was so glad to get the menu that he took it and ran on back uh, down to sit down, and the president turned around to speak to him, and he was gone. 
You see, he was back there gleefully looking at his autograph, and the president was turning around saying, well, David Kelly, and it was kind of embarrassing. So Arthur Langley had to motion for Dr. Cowley to come back, and he turned all colors of red and came back up to the uh, table, and he wanted to ask him about his minister, Dr. Elson, at the uh, Presbyterian Church in Washington, where Eisenhower was going, and they talked a little while. Well, now, that's a, li that's a little bit the way we are with Jesus. We want his autograph, but we can't begin to believe that he really wants to get into a serious conversation with us about how we live how we treat our wife or our children, how we do our business day by day, and the decision-making processes of life. We want that cheap autographed grace, and that's all. We want it signed on our baptismal certificate so that we can get to heaven. Uh, but we don't want him really to get inside our life and start making a difference in the way we think and behave and live and do things. I love the songs which both Mary and Julie sang this morning. Julie wrote that little song that she sang herself. It speaks about God getting inside you. You can't run away from him. Zacchaeus was up there hiding in the trees with his little instamatic camera. And Jesus said, I see you up there as Zacchaeus. Come on down. And Zacchaeus came down. Jesus wasn't going to let him just get an autograph and go home. Get a picture and go away home. But Jesus was going to go home with him. The biggest single thing that could take place here today would be if Jesus went home with someone who came into Gaither Chapel who just thought they were going to get his autograph. That's all. Just go to church and have another bulletin to put in the Bible when you get home. See, I went to church once, and that's it. But really meet with Jesus. Well, Jesus is going home with Zacchaeus. And at this, there was a general murmur of disapproval. The church has never been lacking in murmurers. <laughs> there have always been murmurers, and until the millennium comes, and uh, probably then they'll even be murmuring. But uh, the, uh, there will always be murmurs. So there was a general murmur of disapproval. It says they all begin to murmur. And I think that must have meant some of his disciples even. And they thought, what in the world is he doing? Going with Zacchaeus. Why didn't he call that crook down out of the tree and blast him in front of everybody and say, you no good sorry scoundrel, do you realize you've bled these people white and you've cheated everyone in this town and no decent person ought to be seen speaking to you? If you'd have said that, they would have all applauded and said, let him have it. Get him. He's a sinner. But Jesus goes to sinners a little different than that. Now, he can tear the hide off of the, the religious sinners. The Pharisees, who are like whited sepulchers, he's got some very devastating words to say about the churchy crowd. But he can be very delicate with a woman who's drugged into his presence, who's been caught in the act of adultery, with a woman that's been married five times and strikes up a conversation with him at the well. Jesus has this great compassion 
And so he goes into the house with Zacchaeus. None of us know what transpired that day in Zacchaeus' house. And I've read commentary after commentary after commentary on what might have taken place. One of the most interesting things I've seen was by Lloyd C. Douglas, who was a, is a, was a gifted, oh, just a tremendously gifted writer. He wrote a little essay on this in which he has uh, Zacchaeus inviting Jesus to his house, and Zacchaeus is short, and Jesus is a big, tall, uh, strong fisherman from Galilee, and Zacchaeus is having to run to keep up with him as they go along the path to get to Zacchaeus' house, and the crowd is all following him back. Then they get to the entranceway to the house, and there's a huge expanse of lawn and this great, huge castle where's that palace where Zacchaeus lives. And Zacchaeus comes in, and right away, two Macedonians, two uh, beautiful servants come. They kneel down to take off their sandals and wash their feet. And Zacchaeus, and you have to know some of our Jewish friends to appreciate this, uh, he was very proud of his possession. And he said, man, how do you like this place, Jesus? Isn't this great? You ever come in a house like this? And see these boys here? You know where I got them? I picked them up in Greece. They didn't know much then. I brought them back here. But boy, they really make life comfortable for me. And you know what? Tonight, I've got a cook. This is the best cook. He is going to, we're going to have a meal. You never ate anything like we're going to have tonight. And look, I want you to see some of this statuary here. You know where that thing came from? I paid 10,000 pieces of gold for that. I brought that back here and put it here. That thing's 300 years old. And then he showed Jesus the paintings and said, did you ever see this before? You've probably seen the sketch of it, but this is the original. <laughs> you ever know people that way? And, and Jesus just looked at, kept looking at Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus thought, what's he looking at me for? He's not even looking at all this stuff. He just keeps looking at me. He's not impressed with my possession. He just looks at me. Maybe he's just country and doesn't know how much this stuff costs. Maybe he doesn't want to talk because he's got a hick accent from Galilee. I wonder what's the matter with him. He doesn't say anything. He says, you know what we're going to have for dessert tonight? We're going to have some ices. And you know where we get this ice? It comes all the way 20 miles from the mountaintop up there where there's snow. And I got runners, and they run real fast. And they're going, <laughs> and they're, they're going to run in relays to bring us dessert. Jesus doesn't say anything. He just keeps looking at Zacchaeus. And then Zacchaeus notices that Jesus is looking out the window. And out there on the edge of the lawn, there's this crowd of people, and there's this mother with her little crippled child that she's holding, and Jesus keeps looking at this little child and that worried mother's face. He's not thinking about the ices and the desserts. And then he looks back at Zacchaeus, and suddenly Zacchaeus begins to look at the crowd too. And he has a conscience. He was curious, and now his conscience works on him. He begins to think, well, I didn't cheat these poor people. I cheated some of the rich ones, but I didn't cheat the poor ones. And Jesus just looks at him, just looks at him. And the first thing, Zacchaeus' throat begins to tighten a little bit. His heart begins to pound. And his lips quiver. And his eyes are swimming in tears. 
and he looks in Jesus' big brown eyes, and he sees his own face mirrored in those eyes. And he sees the Zacchaeus he might have been. His mother had named him, a Hebrew name that means pure, but he'd been everything but pure. Oh, he could remember some of those things he'd learned from the Bible. And now they begin to come back to him. And the Holy Spirit is doing his great work in Zacchaeus's heart. And when Zacchaeus comes outside, we see the results of that initial curiosity and the work that took place on his conscience. And we see that costly grace of God lead him to a commitment. And it's a painful commitment. Anything worthwhile in life has got some pain attached to it. You ever watch that guy on the American Express card ad, Par how do you say his name, Parvati, the uh, big opera singer? He weighs about 300 pounds. Tom Starwalt was in New York the other day and heard him sing. That man has to get all 300 pounds under those high notes when he puts them up there. It's a commitment to do that. And yet he does it. And we have to really be able to put it all on the line for Jesus Christ. And this is precisely what takes place in Zacchaeus' life because when he comes outside, the crowd can scarcely believe him. Zacchaeus stood, and the inference is he stood so that everyone out there could hear him. And he turned to Jesus and said, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor. And whatever I have defrauded and cheated from any man, I'm going to restore fourfold. That was far more than the law required. Now then, you get this and don't you ever forget it. No Christian is spiritual who is not ethical. No Christian is spiritual who is not ethical. If you belong to Jesus Christ, there ought to be some corresponding change in your life that means that the lying, the cheating, the stealing, and the other things are changing. Zacchaeus was a changed man, and it cost him to change. There was a rich young man, you remember, who came to Jesus one time and would not pay the price. But Zacchaeus did pay the price. And what a price it was. But what gain he got. He got salvation. He was curious. He had a conscience. And he made a commitment. A commitment to the Savior. What about you? You just have his autograph, picture of him, one of his tapes, or does Jesus operate in the decision-making part of your life? Years ago, when I was a boy in seminary, I went in a businessman's office who talked to me about Jesus Christ. He was an ethical businessman. 
He gave me a little poem that's meant a lot to me, and I've used it before, and I close with it. When he'd graduated from Davidson College, he'd gone, his family, as the custom was then, if you had the money, they sent him for a tour of Europe. On the way back on the ship, someone held a service on Sunday. They talked about conversion and meeting Jesus. And they used this poem, and that man gave his heart to Jesus Christ. I had walked life's way with an easy tread that followed where comforts and pleasures led until one day in a quiet place I met the Master face to face. I reared my castles and built them high till their towers touched the blue of the sky. I bowed to rule with an iron mace when I met the Master face to face. I met him and knew him and blushed to see that his eyes filled with pity were fixed on me. I faltered and fell at his feet that day, and my castles melted and vanished away. They melted and vanished, and in their place, naught else could I see but my master's face. And I cried aloud, O oh, make me meet, to follow the steps of thy wounded feet. My thoughts are now for the souls of men. I lost my life to find it again, ere since one day, in a quiet place, I met the Master face to face. I hope you've met him this morning. You can give yourself to him right now in your own heart. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And he knocks today. And if any man will open the door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. You can invite him into your heart. You can walk out of this church today with Jesus in your heart in the decision-making process of your life. Let us bow in prayer. Oh God, our Father, we modern Americans are so surrounded with leaves. And we have so many defenses, whether we're teenagers or grandparents, we've got them all around us. Defenses that keep us isolated from people, and worst of all, from you. Lord, break through the defenses. Call us by name just like you called Zacchaeus by name. And help us to see that our Lord Jesus Christ can change our lives and make us to live faithfully to his glory. Father, grant that each of us now may know and sense and feel his presence in our heart as we go away from this church, and that he will never, never leave us alone. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with us all, both now and forevermore.